Today's guest was a writer and actor on the television show Mystery Science Theater 3000 and was featured as the beloved arch nemesis Pearl Forrester. She currently teams with Bridget Nelson, making hilarious movie commentary on riff tracks and writes, produces and stars in the web series Ruth Larson Lives on YouTube. She's a crossword puzzle clue in a national magazine and her memoir, Dumb, 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 My Mother's Book Reviews, will be published later this year. My guest is Mary Jo Peel. I'm Aidan Nepom, and this is The Changed Podcast. Mary Jo, I'm so excited that you're here. Hi, how are you, Aiden? You know what? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. great. I yeah, life is a a constant uh, reminder that everything changes, which is, of course, what this is about. Right, right. I find it so interesting when people. When you asked me to do this, I was thinking about change, and I think it's so interesting when people talking about event an event in their life and they say and nothing was ever the same after that which intellectually I understand what they're saying but I also think but we wouldn't have known what it was anyway without this pivotal perhaps pivotal event so what does that mean and if you don't know that life is constantly changing I don't know if you're paying attention and I'm not, I'm not like lecturing anyone as a reminder. (laughs) It's a reminder to me. Like it's always, it's always ebbing and flowing and constantly changing. Yeah. My dad uh, have raised me with this phrase that has stuck with me over the years, which is the only thing constant in life is everything changes. (laughs) And if you think about it, it's true, right? Like our cells regenerate our hair, you know, like I had a haircut a few weeks ago, it already looks different. Um, And, you know, it's like, it it looked great. When I came out of the salon, it looks, I think it looks fine right now, but it's a different look. It's already different (laughs) because it, you know, how quickly hair grows, everything is constantly changing. And yet, it feels to me, and I'm curious if this is true for you, it feels to me that human beings are constantly searching for stability to just try and like get everything to hold still for a minute. Well, that was going to be my question to you is where do we get this idea that, that everything should be uh, consistent sameness all the time. I don't know if that's an innate human characteristic or if, um, we Westerners are particularly susceptible to that idea. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, and, and the idea that we can, can control everything and, and thus make it exactly how we want it at yeah. any given time yeah. is really interesting to me. It's As I look absolutely. at my own ways of being in the world, you know. Totally. So generally speaking, are you the kind of person who gets excited about making changes or do changes feel like they throw you for a loop just sort of in general terms? I, I think it depends. I think, I think in general, I'm more flexible with change because when I was in my twenties and early thirties, 
I kept trying to have a day job and (laughs) I kept getting fired or laid off. And so, and then I tempt while I was doing stand-up comedy and temping, you're going from one job to the next. So I feel like I got somewhat acclimated to the idea of it and um, perhaps adapted Mm -hmm. to the idea of it. So I'm really, really fascinated by people say, saying I've worked at the same job for 30 years. Oh, isn't that remarkable? Oh, I find that so fascinating. Yeah. I hope, I I hope to get a couple of guests on the show at some point who, uh, who fall into that category because I'm super curious about it. Yeah. How did you do that? It feels yeah. like magic to me. Like, how did you do that? And with that came the idea um, that maybe that is not what I'm cut out for. Yeah. Because I tried to have regular jobs and again, just keep losing them because I, I don't I don't know how to navigate the politics or or I'm too literal, whatever it is. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Maybe that's just not my scene. Yeah. I, I have a question for you that might sound dumb. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, are you a kind of person who likes rearranging furniture in your house? Or do you find that you want all the furniture in your house once it's landed to live there until, and then that chair breaks down and you're like, no, but this is this chair and it belongs in this spot. <laughs> no, no, I'm a rearranger. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I like to shake it up. I like to try new things. I also um, have sort of a rotating uh, uh, group of art that I like to put up. Oh, Not cool. everything will be up at the same time. I'll switch stuff in and out. So I have this theory that people who rearrange things often get kind of excited about change and are sort of like constantly looking to change things up and that people who get really attached to a chair and a piece of art living in a particular place and get really bothered when it's time to replace those things um, are more resistant to change. So changes that show up naturally feel like a bigger struggle. It's a theory I'm, I'm working on the furniture theory. (laughs) No, right. My husband was um, very, uh, uh, I had to be, when we moved back to Minnesota from Austin, I had to be very careful about the house that we bought. I was, I I went ahead to search out the house and he was trusting my judgment and I had to be really careful because I knew that once we were in it, changing anything, paint color, um, I, I, you know, adding a deck would be very difficult for him. (laughs) So I had to sort of manage that piece of him. And I knew that, uh, not him, not him, it, manage that piece of it. Um, And I knew that once we got our furniture in there, that that was going to be. The grounding element. Yeah, the grounding element. Yeah, right. Yeah, Yeah, that's so funny. Um, When, so have you, have you experienced so okay <laughs> one of the things that is true about me is sometimes i i'm a think out loud person which means it's okay i love parts it. of sentences escape before <laughs> they're fully hatched um, <laughs> um so when so what here's what i'm trying to say <laughs> um so you are married to a person who gets 
is a little more needing of that sort of like stability and routine or seemingly when it comes to house and home. I also am married to a person who has those qualities. I, it makes me immediately formulate. It's like two examples is enough to generalize, right? So, yes. <laughs> yes. so I immediately and have a new theory. Yeah. Even though your control group is very, very tiny. Very, yes. very tiny. You can now say that 100% of people <laughs> who like uh, changing up their circumstances are attracted to people who don't and vice versa. I wonder what that's about. Let's, let's wildly theorize based Speculate on a limited on experience. Yes. I think that's really interesting because as I'm listening to you, I realize my husband, um, uh, is one of those people who had a job for 31 years. Whoa! At the the same company. And that was, I remember when we first started going out, that that was very appealing to me because I had uh, dated or fraternized with so many artists and comedians and um, uh, theater people who could not say the same thing and, and didn't have, uh, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to tread lightly because, because I'm one of those people. I know what that's like. Yeah. And that was very appealing to me about him and that he, he, he did have the stability. He had like, he had a car. I can't tell you how many times I went, went out with people where I'd have to drive and I hate that I've internalized those kinds of um, benchmarks for what going out means. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm older than you. I'm kind of in a, this weird transition generation where things were changing. So I'm blabbing, but I'm just thinking a lot. So, <laughs> well, I relate to that very much. I mean, I, I'm also part of, you know, I'm Gen X. And so, you know, I also have this feeling of like having witnessed so much change in my life. And uh, I now get to say things like, when I was a kid, we didn't have a phone you could just look at pictures on. Oh my gosh, right. (laughs) We had one phone for the whole house. No, I know. I know. It's weird when you get to that age where you start educating people about your hardships, you know, the generations after you, you educate them. It's interesting because uh, having heard those stories growing up from the previous generations and thinking, you know, it was interesting, but like I couldn't really grok it. Um, you know, what it's that say, I feel like it comes from that same human instinct of trying to create stability. It's like, it's so important that you who've never experienced these things understand what I went through. Right. So that, what? I don't know. What? No, <laughs> yeah, I know. And I think you're also pointing to um, this primal instinct to contextualize everything. This is, this is why we, I feel like this is why we need to know what 
you know, gender identification people are using, yeah. how we get so nosy about how people identify or if they're, what their partnerships are like. Well, I, I, I do think it's nosy and I think it's rude and I think it's irrelevant, but I do think there's a deep instinct there to try and card catalog information for yourself. It doesn't excuse it. I just wonder if that's the underlying I totally. I'm, sh- I'm sure. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's totally tied to that need to contextualize, to create, um, you know, we're constant, our brains create shortcuts all the time. It's how we're able to function is that I don't have to think about where I put my keys. And the minute I do have to think about where I put my keys, it's like, oh no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not used to doing that. Wow, you know, and then right. you know, wander around the whole house like, where did I put my keys? Right. Um, and they were on my purse all along. <laughs> No, I feel you. Well, so, so, you know, prior to us talking today, I asked you to think about pivotal moments in your own life. And I'm sure like me, you have many to pick from, uh, many stories you could have chosen, but you picked a story that I haven't heard yet, which is exciting Mm -hmm. for me. Um, And so I'm, I guess I'm curious, how did you pick? How did you choose which story to tell? Honestly, I felt like this one was probably the one that people might relate to most. And I do think it was um, possibly the biggest pivot in my life, inwardly and externally. So, Well, I'm excited. Uh, Are you ready to tell your story? Yeah. Should I just launch in? Yeah, you just launch right into your story and I'm going to okay. I'm going to do my best to keep my oohs, ahs and ahas to a bare minimum. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, um as I mentioned when I was in my 20s and 30s, I uh got fired and laid off from several jobs in a row, like probably 6, 7, 8. Um I kept getting I interview really well and then when I get to a situation, I'm kind of baffled with the personal dynamics, the the political dynamics. Um, also, uh, I, I'm very literal with instructions. So like you have to walk me through stuff because I'm so terrified of doing stuff wrong. In any case, I kept losing job after job after job. And I kept I kept wanting to work in a nine to five job. Yeah. I, I didn't know that other forms of existing existed really, you know? So I was working for um, KTEL International. I'm trying to, okay, I need to make this briefer because I'll just go on and on. (laughs) I was working for um, KTEL International. It actually did exist. And uh, a colleague of mine took me to an open stage because we shared a really deep sense of humor. We really shared a humor. And so he was doing open stages. He took me to one and and I did like three minutes, barely memorized it, panicked, and um, I got a lot of laughs, and I started getting booked right away. Oh. Then I uh, got, uh, concurrently with that, I got fired from another job, and I started temping and doing stand-up comedy. That led, a couple of years later, to getting the job on Mystery Science Theater 3000 which was produced in the Twin Cities. And um, I got that job 
And I was there about, let me back up a little bit. I come from a household that is very pragmatic. Like Mm. my parents didn't understand how you could not have a job that wasn't going somewhere at nine o'clock and coming back at five. Uh And my mom was always concerned about, do you have benefits? Do you get benefits? Take whatever job, you know, that's how we do it. And, and my siblings all have very, um, you know, measurable skill sets, you know? Um, and I was kind of the person who couldn't find her, her way. So I got hired at Mystery <laughs> Science Theater 3000 and I was there um, probably eight months. And I was talking to my mother one day on the phone and she asked me how the job was going. And I said, Oh mom, it is so fun. I feel like I fit in. I feel like I bring something to the table. I feel like my whatever I'm, whatever skill set I'm bringing, I feel like I'm I'm useful. Like it, it works. And my mother said, "Well, that'll all come crashing down around you." <gasps> wow. Yeah. And I just remember I'm having I'm having the same physical reaction I did when she said it. Um, Which is what? And um, just sort of this, um, oh, like, like, like a chill in my tummy. Do you know what I mean? Like real, dis- yeah. like distress right here. You wow. know? Yeah. And shock, I guess is the word. That's a really good question. And shock. And in that moment, I realized that my mom wasn't right about everything. Boom. I realized that even if it did come crashing down around me, what was the harm in being in that moment? You know? Yeah. And I said, and I, I didn't really ever fight with my mom. I mean, we had, you know, I guess we did fight, but in that moment, I really pushed back. I just had this, because we're Minnesotans, you know, you keep the peace and okay, you know, and in that moment, I said, why would you say that? And she got really flustered and she said, well, you know, these things, you know, everything, you don't know. And, and I can't even remember what she said. I just remember me pushing back on it. And, and then I said, well, I'm going to go and, and hung up the phone and it was really pivotal for me to, how can I, how can I say this concisely? It was a pivotal moment for me to realize that other people don't have the answers for my life. It was really pivotal for me to, to not let my mother have that power over me anymore. Mm-hmm. My mother was, I loved her dearly. She also, that's how she came up. That's what she was taught. Like, don't get too happy about anything. Cause it'll all, you know, wow. nothing. Am I making sense? I feel like I'm just blathering. You, you know? totally are making sense. Okay. What a, to me, that's a totally pivotal powerful moment of self-realization, but also that your grownups aren't perfect, which is a pivotal moment in and of itself. Right. 
And, and I think you just used a really important word. Like I claimed my grown-up ship, you know, and, um, yeah, I'm just thinking back to that time and we didn't speak. I was so angry. I didn't, we didn't speak for like six weeks and she, she was destroyed by that. And it made me realize that she thought she was helping. She Mm. thought she was managing expectations for me. And it also made me start growing in a different way in terms of of being in the moment, of cherishing what I had at that time and place and realizing, no, of course, of course, everything changes. It doesn't mean you can't be in that moment to relish this, this great job that I had and loved and was so lucky to get. And it also made me see my mother as a human being, you know, with all the frailties and the shit that she came up with, the the messages she was told. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that story. It's so relatable. I hope so. I, I mean, I think that, um, I, you know, again, I just like to generalize out from really tiny test groups. That's just feel free. Yes. What I like to do. <laughs> uh, but I, I think based on not just this story, but conversations I've had with friends, my own experience that it's a totally relatable thing, but there's, there is a pivotal moment for many people where you realize your parents are human and that's a powerful moment for some people. It's a terrifying moment, but for you, it sounded like it was a really, like it was a growth moment. It was really, it was really freeing. And also it was, I also took the risk of my mom being mad at me because whether it's our family dynamic, whether it's being Midwesterners, whether it's both, you always uh, soft sell any um, fractiousness. You sort of, uh, you know, bury it or, or it's under the surface. And it was a huge thing for me to let my, to be mad at my mom and to let her be mad at me. Mm. And not running back to apologize, like, you're right, I, you know, I shouldn't get too excited about anything ever, which is how she was taught. Of course. I, you said something interesting in the middle of all of that, which is that she was trying to mitigate uh, or manage risk for you. She was trying to manage expectations. That's what you said. She was trying to help you manage expectations so that probably so that she could save you hurt or heartache or whatever. Yeah. Um, Fascinating. Was just out of curiosity, was your, did your mom come up during the great depression? Yes. Yes. I, again, just extrapolating out from a tiny test group, but it does seem like, (laughs) (laughs) it does seem like there's a there there that when people had to scrimp and save um, after a time of abundance, that, the effect was that people were like, everything good goes away at some point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just having a really powerful feeling for my mom, like what, what she was um, grappling with. And she did not come up with in a generation where you 
examined those things or did a lot of self-reflecting. And I don't right. want to put words into my mother's mouth. She's She's been gone several years. But I wonder, going back to context, I wonder... I wonder that for her. And um, she was uh, a a girl in the, in the forties and fifties when your path was so narrow. Like I asked her about um, what, if she could have done anything with her life, she, you know, she gave me some ideas and she also said, but back then you either became a school teacher or um, a nurse until you got married. We and I remember her saying this. We just didn't have the options. So yeah. I think I think about my mother in her whole entirety, you know, and that that piece when you have to. And mothers and daughters, it's complicated. It's been written about by smarter people than me. <laughs> but navigating that, yeah, you know, because I loved her so much you know, but again, turns out she's human and turns out I could love my job for that moment. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm super curious. So you had this big pivotal internal shift. How did that, how do you think, I mean, you kind of have to guess because we don't know how things would have turned out otherwise, of course, but how do you think that affected the rest of things moving forward with your relationship with your mom, with other work streams? I think that it was very freeing. Um, I think it actually strengthened my mom's and mine, our relationship. I couldn't figure out how to say that. Our relationship, because maybe she started seeing me in a different way. This, this helpless girl who couldn't keep a damn job. Yeah. You know, Um, I think, as far as um, my my work, I think, you know, maybe it just made me more at home with the dynamic of freelancing in the arts and comedy, mm. you know? But I was, I was really lucky with Mystery Science Theater. I was there for seven years, like the longest I'd ever had a job in my yeah, life. Yeah, a good solid chunk of time. <laughs> right? But I also knew, uh, this, this is interesting. Oh, I, okay. Yeah, you just prompted something. I also was fully aware that it wouldn't last forever because uh-huh. because that had been my whole life, but not in a negative way, just in an, an accepting way. And television being what it is, like it lasted 10 years. The show did. And that's a huge life in television. So I was also always really um, aware of that and not in a scared way, just all things must change. If you were going to go back in time and tell yourself something about change that would have helped in that moment, I mean, I'm not a therapist, pop psychology, I guess. Uh, <laughs> what would you tell your past self? Get used to the idea of it and em- embrace it. Like, just, em- and don't kid yourself that it's not already happening with or without your participation. Does that make sense? <laughs> I love that. Oh my God, I love that so much. Don't kid yourself that it isn't already happening with <laughs> or without your participation. <laughs> Nailed I mean, that. that's what we're all yeah. subject to it. I mean, it's a it's a crazy 
it's a crazy world, you know? Um, so I wish I would have gotten used to the idea sooner and been not so fearful. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what I would tell myself. Stop being so fearful about everything all the time. That's great. Um, that's great. I love that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I want to give you the opportunity to share any final thoughts that are coming to you. But uh, to me, I'm like story check life lessons, check (laughs) words of wisdom, check anything else you want to share. Well, I really appreciate your listening. And so many people have um, digested it much more succinctly and better than I could. But uh, I don't know if you've read any Pema Chodron. She talks about change and just being just being fully present, which is something that I really have to work at. May I share a quote from Pema Chodron? Please. That I... I just try to bring myself back to earth with all the time to be fully alive, fully human and completely awake is to be continually thrown out of the nest. So the idea that we're like supposed to be sitting in the nest is just. Uh, This has been amazing, Mary Jo. Uh, On that note, I'm just going to say thank you so very much. Um, I think those words were enlightening. And I love, loved hearing your thoughts about change today. My pleasure. Thanks, Aiden. Mary Jo's story calls to mind my own stories of quiet rebellion against my parents, assumptions, my habits and circumstances, and how they've shaped who I am today. In this story of standing up to her mom, which is perhaps less about the push and pull of breaking the cocoon of youth to emerge into adulthood, Mary Jo shows us what it is to stand up against a narrative that does not serve. While the idea of tempering expectations so as to minimize disappointment down the road is born of good intentions, it has the unintended consequence of squashing any joy that might come along with those moments seems to me that the takeaway is to let the knowledge that good things come to an end be less about minimizing disappointment and more about maximizing the moment. You have been listening to The Changed Podcast. If you want more Mary Jo Peel, you can join me and my family in watching Riff Tracks. And if you haven't already seen it, check out Ruth Larson Lives on YouTube. Be sure to like, subscribe, and rate The Changed Podcast on whatever service you are using to consume it. And if you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend. You can join our Facebook group to keep the conversation going and share stories of your own. Thank you for listening. I'm Aiden Nepom, and I wish you the kind of moments in life that you are excited to tell stories about.